And it's like I told Wit after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I could follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's looking <laughs> at your tweets. I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Get you somebody not... that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm moron. Do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was What's out. What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking like a cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech lost to Miami 25-24. to I'm sure Robbie's not feeling the best, but why don't you give us a cheers? Try to lift our spirits a little bit as we get started. I'll do my best. It, it was a tough, tough game. I... I actually watched it with a, a good buddy of mine, Phil, and, and my wife, and I, I didn't throw a remote. I didn't do any of the bad things that can normally happen <laughs> uh, in those types of games. I stayed calm and collected, so um, I'm pretty proud of myself in that respect. Uh, the cheers this week, I think I have to give it to the defense for mostly a couple players, um, but in general, the defense, after a tough game in Liberty, came out with a lot of energy especially early on they they were really hitting hard. They had a lot of good stops and in, in the second half as well. So in places that I wouldn't have expected knowing that Miami has a, has a really good offense and obviously a very talented quarterback Dax, who has been kind of MIA for the best uh, way to put it uh, in terms of his productivity, uh, what he's been doing from that position in Gerard Hewitt, who had obviously the big issue getting thrown out of the game, well, whatever it was three games ago comes out and had a good day as well with two and a half sacks, a QB hurry and, you know, made up for some of the wrongs from a few games ago. So I'm going to give it to the defense here. I thought they came out and they played with a lot of energy and holding that Miami team to, to 25 points, I think is pretty commendable regardless of the outcome of the game. Cheers. Yeah, just like we said about the offense last week, the defense this week did enough to win the game probably, and it was the offense that came up a little short, and we will get into that in a little bit. The AP poll, I don't have much to say about this, not too much change. The one interesting thing was Miami, who just beat us in lane, uh, they dropped in the poll from 9 to 12. And I realize there's teams winning and moving up, and it's not necessarily on a reflection on Miami being any worse. But usually when you go into lane and you beat Virginia Tech, regardless of season or record, you get a little bit of a bump. And to me, seeing Miami drop after beating us was just a little shocking. <laughs> I would agree with that. I think I think seeing Miami... People have seen what our defense has been doing and then seeing Miami's offense only put up 25 uh, on, you know, we're still developing and we still have a lot of way to go in, in, in that regard. And 
to see that I think might've shocked people a little bit. And also to your point, there's other teams that just, they keep winning. It may be for real or not for real, but there's some undefeated teams out there that are taking up top 10 slots and should be, I mean, the BYUs of the world, I think there's teams like Colorado. I think they're going to start ending up in the top 25 here. So shortly you have Indiana playing very well. There are a lot of programs that, whether it's real or just the opponents that they've been playing are undefeated and playing good football. Absolutely. Indiana is in a top 10 matchup this week against Ohio State. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm hoping that game gets played, but when was the last time Indiana was in a top 10 matchup? That is that is wild. So, yeah, I agree with you. And the top 10 has been a weird place, and the rankings have been weird this entire season. So I don't want to read too much into it, but I still thought it was kind of crazy. They, they beat us on the road. And uh, and they dropped the player update. There was no Crawford, no Belmar, and no Waller. So Waller missed a game after coming back for from a in the last game. Uh, Chapman and Murray started at corner, and Dax started. And Tisdale didn't play. And I heard that was because he was dealing with the illness. He was dressed, as far as I could tell. It looked like he was suited up, but he didn't play. Uh, at one point, actually, I tweeted it out. He grabbed a water bottle from a trainer and squirted it in Dax's mouth. And it was like kind of a cute moment. <laughs> yeah. Dude, the sidelines, interestingly, and we'll get into this, is still holding together. It, it could easily have become derailed, but it's still staying together pretty well. I'll, I'll give him that. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, the juice was back a little bit this week after Liberty last week. Uh, Delius actually started at tight end. Mitchell didn't play, or I guess Mitchell played, but he played like, what, five snaps or something like that? Not much at all. Yeah. Blackshear started at running back. Herbert did play, but is clearly still nursing the hammy. Um, And then Miami was missing what I heard initially was 13 players. I've also heard 11, but it was a bunch of players and particularly some offensive linemen, and it showed in the game, I thought. Mm -hmm. The last couple notes I had were Artis and... Zion DeBose have opted out and that's that's gonna happen and I, I wouldn't think that's gonna be the end of the opt-outs and then we had Walker Culver the offensive lineman pretty highly rated offensive lineman from a couple years ago he has retired from football due to a foot injury I hate those stories that sucks so bad it's just imagine just one day being like something you're passionate about and you love and then you're like yeah I'm just gonna have to give it up completely. Like I can't, yeah. I can't play anymore. So, um, artists and DeBose at, at some point, you know, at some point, if, if you're not playing, you're not seeing the fields and you, you gotta wonder, you know, whether it makes sense for you and, and, and to still be going out there, especially in this weird, weird season. So listen, I don't, if you're going to opt out, you know, power to you. Everybody can make their own decisions. I think of that a lot differently than maybe some other situations, but Culver, right. that one is, that one's bad. Um, just because it's, it sucks so bad for him. Yeah. And, and this is way different than the Paris Ford thing. I joked about him, you know, quitting on pit artists and DeBose that that's really, I don't believe that to be what's happening here. Those guys are not starters. <laughs> Paris Ford is a leading tackler for Christ's sake on pit. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some frustration involved because they're probably not getting as many snaps. I mean, artists, we never put him in 
at, at linebacker. So I can't really blame him. He does play some good special teams, but he never gets to play at linebacker. So I don't blame either of those guys not having to get tested every week four and five times. Um, so more power to him, and hopefully we'll get him back next year. Pitt did resume football activities today. There's been a lot of talk about the game potentially being canceled this upcoming weekend, but they were back on the practice field today. It's looking like we're going to play. There's a couple more tests, obviously, uh, so we'll see. I did put on our Twitter page the poll of whether you want to watch Tech play Pitt this weekend or you would rather get canceled or postponed so you don't have to. And about 45% of people said they'd rather be canceled or postponed. So kind of shows you where we're at. And I kind of was joking with you, like that might be a reflection of the opponent more more so than just watching tech because it the pit vt game is always brutal to watch <laughs> yeah it's well we hate we hate their coach so much he's just such a pain in the butt on the sideline it's always a rock fight with them so you're risking energy er, injuries and pitt's been struggling they have they have kind of nothing to lose in this game that i think they've lost what their last four in a row is they it? lost four and then they won one so yeah. they're four and four just like us yeah so and people are obviously a little bit dejected right now just in in general um i would i i didn't vote on our own poll because it's our poll but i would have voted that i do i do want to watch it do, am i excited like really jazzed up for this game no not not in comparison <laughs> to even knowing, and you and I joked again before the podcast, I'm fully prepared to watch us get our butt kicked by Clemson, and I'll actually enjoy that just to get see Clemson's players and things like that. It's kind of a, you know, a fun game that doesn't happen that often. We play Pitt every year, and this is not exactly. And it's the never year. fun. <laughs> no, it's never fun, and we're. Not all of these guys that our players are sitting out because of COVID. These are like injury related things. And we don't have a lot of depth with uh, some of the attrition, players opting out, those sorts of things. So every game you're playing, when it's back to back, you're risking injury every time you go out there. And Herbert, it sounds like Fuente said he didn't re aggravate anything in the game mm-hmm. um, with his hamstring. So that's a good sign. But it just goes to show you every week, you know, you could you can get somebody banged up. That's really critical to to the program. Yeah, his comments did sound promising regarding Herbert. I'm I'm really hoping we get Mitchell back this upcoming week. Yep. Let's hop into the game recap. It took a bit for the scoring to get going, but we did put up the first points of the game, scoring a touchdown on the 53-yard run by Hennon Hooker. It was it was a beautiful play. Miami kicked a field goal at the end of the first quarter, and we scored another TD, this time on the run by Holston, and went up 14-3. Miami put together a long drive going 84 yards in 10 plays and scored on the 10-yard run by De'Eric King. They added a field goal right before the half to make it 14-13, a slim hookies lead. We put Holston to work again in the third quarter. He scored his second touchdown of the day after an 11-play 74-yard drive, and we added a field goal on our next drive to go up 24-13. And so we had an 11-point lead, uh, time winding in the third, and that's when the scoring stopped for the Hokies. Miami had a 13-play drive capped with a six-yard run by Harris to make it 19-24. They did miss their two-point try, and that was right at the end of the third quarter. Our offense still couldn't get anything going. Miami scored again 
Another long drive. They took a one-point lead, missed another two-point conversion, and there were six minutes left. So they got a one-point lead. We go out in the field. Let's make this comeback. Hendon throws the awful interception. And after that, the next couple drives stalled out. That's how it ended. Miami won 25-24. to Kind of a short game recap this time. I didn't want to delve too much into it. But uh, what were your thoughts as Miami took that lead and we come back out in the field and Hendon throws that INT? Well, I'll go. Let me go a little bit earlier and then I'll hit that because I do have thoughts on that as well. Is on that on that field goal early on, um, they were really trying to put it on us. If, they, if you remember, they they tried the fake um, field goal early in the game, um, that kind of trick play, and we snuffed that out. So that was a really mm-hmm. nice special teams uh, play that. That probably saved us some points there because I feel like they would have they would have uh, put points on on the board. And then going back to the pass from Hooker, huge credit to uh, to um, French for finding this in the film because I don't think anybody spotted it, but somehow he did because it's in. If you rewatch it, it's in like the bottom left of the pass. But Trey Turner is wide open, and as the ball's flying over Trey Turner's head. You see him literally just throw his arms out. One, mm. I'm I'm open, perfect, you know, perfect route he just ran and would have been easily, you know, a 10, 15 yard pass for him. And he would have been able to and then get out of bounds or whatever the case may be. And then also it was almost like he already knew that it was like an interception. So um, it was thrown into double coverage and it was wildly overthrown into yeah. that coverage. So it was just a bad play all around. And yeah, I, I saw that that French noted that as well. And I was just like shaking my head reading the article. Uh, we blew a double digit lead at home with the opposing team down 13 players. We were favored in the game. And that's probably because Vegas had an idea of how many players would be out for Miami. And the post game win expect- expectancy had us at, I think, 54% to win the game. So it's a game that was winnable and that when you have a double-digit lead in the second half, you probably should win. Um, and we bungled it. And we couldn't we couldn't close the deal yet again. And it was disappointing. I thought the story of the game was their rejuvenated defense and then not being able to close the deal. That was, that was my story. And some of the, the third and seven, the third and six, running it up the middle, just... Uh, <laughs> I, just yeah, giving ourselves the longest type of field goals you could possibly imagine. And listen, I'm not a coach. The coaches have their own thought process on what they're trying to do, but I would challenge anybody to look at that game and watch it again and not think that we just, we're not just trying to hold on to dear life to win that game. Like there was, it did not look like we were trying to win whatsoever. It was like, we were trying to scrap out, you know, a 27, 25 win. And, you know, there's something to be said for that. Maybe positively that, you know, your team maybe not be equipped to, to beat somebody. And you think Miami might be more talented, but dude, at this point, after the Liberty loss, just go, just go for it. <laughs> yeah. Be, be slightly more aggressive. Uh, let's break down the offense first, just cause that's going to be, a little depressing, and then we'll get into the defense because I thought there yeah. were some things to hang our hats on there. The offense put up 362 yards. It was the lowest output of the year, and it was more than 50 yards fewer than any other game we've had. The 5.1 yards per play was also the lowest of the year. 
In the final five drives, we had 81 yards on 28 plays. It was less than three yards per play for the final five drives. And that just can't happen. It speaks to the play calling. It speaks to the the, the playmaking from the quarterback as well. Because I don't think Hendon, he had an okay day, but he didn't have a great day. And his 261 yards, that's fine. One touchdown, one interception. But he took too many sacks. He made some wrong reads in the read option game. He made that very bad throw in the interception, among others. Um, it was his third worst game of his career. The, the two weight games are the only ones that were worse. Yeah, it was it was tough. He was our leading rusher with 21 carries, but only for 59 yards. He had the rushing touchdown, and he had a a lot of issues in the read option game. A lot of keeps where he absolutely should not, and that led to a few sacks and a lot of gives um, that he probably should have pulled. So he just wasn't in his element. He was he was off. Herbert only had eight carries in the game, so they. I think we're tentatively bringing him back, and it helped that Holston was was playing pretty well. I mean, I think he had arguably, you know, the best game we've seen from him in, in a while, and made some stuff out of out of nothing, and also yep. had two rushing touchdowns. So, um, Trey this Turner, this is right after I I kind of had some harsh words for him last week that we were talking about the running back position and how the drop off from Herbert was quite large, and my reasoning is that we've only seen six carries from Holston last year and seven this year before this game. That's right. And he's also been injured a lot. And so it was nice to see him go out there and put some plays together. He had six touches and, and gained a lot of yards on each one important plays, a first down, a couple touchdowns. So I think he absolutely deserved more carries and hopefully he gets that going forward. But that was a bright spot. And the fact that Herbert went for 49 yards on just eight carries shows you that even with a bum hamstring, he is still really good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the offensive line had a tough day. I I don't, obviously Jalen Phillips is extremely talented and he got into the backfield. He was manhandling us. Um, They used some unique stuff um, in terms of what their, their rush was and, and their pass rush, which I think threw us a little bit off. He had two and a half tackles for loss. I mean, four and a half tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. And the offensive line did not have their best day is, is how I'd characterize it. So it was, it was just a, it was a challenge all the way around. I think Turner had a good day, five receptions for 86 yards. He had some really key catches. He's becoming so reliable. Yes. He really is. So, uh, what about Blackshear? What do you, what are your thoughts on Blackshear right now, man? He is, he is struggling. I, I, I keep watching the film and I when I rewatch the game, I'm trying to figure out like what's going on with him. And I, I don't know. I, I'd love to get, you know, somebody that's really good at kind of diagnosing what's happening because people were really high on him. Like oh, and people that Yeah, that, they were hyping him up like crazy. The best playmaker on the offense and all this. And yeah. And yeah, he's had some some shifty runs mm-hmm. at some point in the year, but I mean He's our worst running back right now, and I just I didn't expect that. I expected him to get utilized in the passing game and and look really like dynamic in the running game, and he just hasn't been. And at this point, I'd rather see more carries from Holston. I, I know it's only he only had four carries in the last game, but he's averaging like nine yards carry on the year. So yeah. so let's give it to Holston some more. 
Yeah, I don't think Blackshear. I think is very athletic, and he see you see that sometimes on the outside when he gets when he gets a dump off or things like that. He can he's quick and he can he can make some moves, but as a pure running back, his his vision, the drop off between his vision and Herbert's vision are not even in the same kind of stratosphere. And then his physicality versus Holston's physicality is not. So he's kind of this tweener that doesn't really fit the mold either way. Those two play to their strengths. Um, but and, that's and well said. Yeah. Yeah. I also saw that we are 87th in the country on third down conversions right now. 36 and a half percent. I got that from Ellison Orcut on Twitter. That when you have that low of a third down conversion rate, that is all play calling and QB play. That that's pretty much what that comes down to. And and so I'm not putting it completely on corn and I'm not putting it completely on Hendon. They're both gonna share that 36% on third down, but that is not good. You're exactly right. I mean, that comes down to, and really it comes down to without that pass threat. And then we're going back to the bread and butter, running the ball on some of these third downs, people are just loading the box and they're just Mm -hmm. challenging us to do what we do best. But when you load the box, that's just not, it's not going to work. Let's get into the defense before we kind of (laughs) go over the, the coaching problems again. Uh, this was the best game of the year for the defense uh, by by f- a fairly wide margin, in my opinion. Only four and a half yards per play given up. <laughs> Keep in mind, we gave up 10 yards per play just about to UNC and eight and a half to Louisville, and they gave up four and a half in this game. They only gave up 25 points that you hit on to a very dangerous offense. Huge improvement on the tackling side of things. Absolutely. And especially up the middle, playing very, very physical on some tough runs that Miami was really trying to, with a really exceptional talent, King can really do damage to you. And I know he's still, he went 24 for 38, 255 yards, but only had one passing TD. His rushing, I mean, we kept him in check. He That's keeping him yards in check. on the ground on 18 carries. And yeah, fantastic. Th- that's ridiculous. Um, if you've watched any of his games, he's, he's that good. Um, and then the only other real damage was done by D Higgins. He had 106 yards on eight receptions. I know he didn't have any touchdowns, but he, you know, he Wiggins put up some, or Higgins. What's his name? Wiggins. Uh, okay. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Uh, but he, he had a good day, but overall, I think the defense really played well. Devin Taylor, 11 tackles. All of them were solo. He had a tackle for loss. We talked about Hewitt a little bit with the two and a half sacks. It, it was, it was, you know, it was a good day. Holly Field had, he had one sack, a pass defended, led the team in tackles. A good day for him. So great overall, day for Dax. Yeah. Uh, you hit it in the cheers, but yeah, he had a, he had a good day. Ashby with the eleven tackles. It's good to have him back. I was a little worried when he went out last game with the knee. Yep. Um, Devin Taylor, we that was another guy that I kind of made fun of his tackling last week, and he has not been good. But he was very good and short tackling in this Miami game with those eleven solo tackles. Now, you could tell that Miami's O-line was banged up, but I was still proud of the way that inside presence was, like you said. And Hewitt, Kendricks, Pollard, all good days from those guys. And and the rush D, which has been much maligned, just the 131 yards given up, 2.7 yards per carry. So 
I feel bad for the defense because we've kind of beat them up all year. And the one game that they finally did enough to win, you know, the offense couldn't help them out. But it was it was still positive and it was nice to see Dak saying that they went back to some of the stuff they used under Bud Foster uh, with the new scheme mixed in. Yeah, And maybe that's the reason they had some more success. I'm not sure why it would have taken this long to do that, but that's fine. Yeah. Uh, they did it against a good offense against Miami, and, and we should be proud of the way they played because they played well. Yeah, and there were a lot of stops, very physical stops at the line of scrimmage that I thought well, I was really impressed in, and at key times that ended up shutting down plays and Miami ended up playing, making Miami have to punt. So I thought that was also very impressive, very physical at the line of scrimmage on a lot of those hits. They did they got some yardage here and there, but for the most part, I thought it was very sound. As for our special teams, we missed another long field goal. Is it is it time to stop trying those 50 plus yarders? That, that wasn't and I don't Johnson's been an amazing kicker for us in the he's past. A good he's, a, he's a very good kicker, but he didn't miss that. It was off by <laughs> 25 yards. I it, it was horrible. It was, it was horrible. not even close i don't know i kept looking to see if i got tipped or something but it, no it still had the distance it was just in the complete wrong direction and yeah that that's why now there's there's been a trend it started to happen on these long field goals we've made a few of them he made a couple of long field goals but that cannot be our fallback position on what we're trying to do right now but i guess it is on a third and seven on a third and six and if people are loading the box, they know we're going to run it, and we can't really find a very consistent passing game. Well, I think, what the hell else are we going to do? I think that's that's kind of well, what you're seeing yeah. on the field. It's like, what what else are we going to do? I don't know the answer. Hopefully, there's a there's a third door that we can walk through, which is like a good play call. <laughs> but I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Yeah, Johnson, he's three of ten over his career on fifty plus, and he's two of six this year. So it's it's a one and three shot of it going through the uprights on fifty plus. I don't know if that's worth keep doing, but that's not my decision. Punt return is also a problem at this point. I I don't understand how it's taken so long to find someone who can catch a punt, or if they're not going to catch it, not let it bounce inside the ten yard line. I I mean I know Blackshear is new to it under us, but I, I feel like he returned punts at Rutgers. Like I, and also that's just football knowledge. Like, I don't know why he's letting these, these punts bounce, but yeah, I don't want someone who's going to muff it, but I also don't want someone that's going to misjudge it so poorly that they let it roll inside the 10 yard line. I just want somebody that's going to catch it at this point. That's, <laughs> that's really it. That's at this point. I'm not looking for anybody to do anything special on punt returns, kick returns. I think, you know, we can still have our hopes that we can do something and get some, good field position but on punts if we just fair catch everything and catch it and be good then i would be happy that's all we need to do uh, at this point and not let it bounce into the end zone and certainly not you know muff it so regarding that third down call that everyone's kind of been talking about the qb run play on third and six uh it led to the punt because we lost one yard we're at the 37 yard line we kind of do a QB sweep. It's a, it's a total QB run from the start. Hendon takes it outside. It loses a yard. It was dead to rights as soon as it was. And and Fuente said afterwards that the thought on that play was to try to get it to fourth and manageable. 
And Andy Bitter, he was like, since when is six yards not manageable? I mean, like, does anyone consider third and six, third and long? No. no. I mean, that's that's an, a slant play. That's There's a thousand things you can do on third and six no, to get a first down. third and down. 12 or third and 15 after a penalty is, that's what is third and long. That That, that is when you're like, oh, we are, we're screwed. You just try and make the best out of it. Third and six is... Very manageable. And not that the percentage is that high. I was looking at third down conversion percentage today a little bit. But, I mean, most teams are what? Like in the 30 to 40% range on, on third down. And some oh, of they're them, above that. And some of them... The average team that. is above that, yeah. And, but I'm saying for like, for longer oh, plays oh, oh. where it's not like a third and two. Or it, it, when that, yep. I mean, it, then you should be like at the... 30 to 40, probably 40% range on a third and six. That would be, that would be adequate on, on that type distance. And that is, that is not, that's not third and long. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I understand hooker has limitations, but come on, like, let's not handcuff the guy because he has to go six yards on a third down. And I, I was listening to Chris Coleman, and I'm using these other references because it's helpful, and and to also prove to you guys that we read everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, TSL they said like Corn is not a complete train wreck as an offensive coordinator, and I agree with that. Like we've seen train wrecks in the past, and this offense is not a train wreck. It's currently still the best in school history, but you have to keep in mind that Corn likes to beat up on the bad teams, and when we play the athletic, fundamentally sound defenses, he struggles big time. And my overall thought is just that he's not savvy enough to adjust and keep defenses guessing for 60 minutes. Like, he can he can do it for a little while, and he, and he has some of his good plays, and he picks his spots and stuff, but we've seen too many swings and misses um, and just not enough guts to, uh, to really – say that he's a great offensive coordinator. I mean, he's he's fine, and he's better than, I guess, the years when we were asking for Steining to get fired, but it's not good. Well, I mean, let's put it this way. Of things, you want to have, like, a decent-sized arsenal at your disposal, disposal to when you're doing these things. When was the last time that we've thrown a slant pass? I, I can't even actually. I watch all the passes. Like, like we don't. There's certain things that we just don't have that are fundamental to like a really good offense that can help you in those sort of positions and maybe get people out of position. There's, there's just weird things that we just don't do. There's really kind of three different passing trees. It feels like that we're operating off of on every single play, and that's just, it's just not going to cut it. It, it's just not good enough. And maybe that's a limitation of hooker. Maybe it's, it's corn. I don't know what it is, but it's not, it's not there. The, the arsenal. And Coleman's point not. was that, you know, yeah, it might be a limitation of hooker, but who's to blame for that? Yep. You know, I, I know the coaches can't throw every pass and all that stuff, do all the reads, but like hooker's not a new player. Like he sh- should be developed to the point that he can go through a progression. He threw the ball pretty well last year. So like it's yeah he's his passing. Yeah, what's crazy about Hooker is that his QBR now on the season is lower than last year. Yeah. No, he's regressed. The passing game. How about that? The passing yeah. game has regressed. And yeah, because his running yardage and everything and his touchdowns are all up. It's 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 the passing game. This is the last thing we'll say regarding the coaches. Brian Holbrook on Twitter also asked us, 
uh, what was with not calling the timeout before the half? There was like 90 seconds and it was a third down and we didn't call the timeout. We've seen that before too. Like we, we've seen, we've seen the mismanagement of time, the willingness to just be like, I'm good. Let's go to locker room and like not be aggressive when you should be and be over aggressive when you shouldn't be. And so that doesn't surprise me in the least. And those are the battles I can't even fight anymore. Yeah. The clock management overall, and even some of the stuff in the fourth quarter was driving me crazy where it was just bleeding out clock time. It's, we just seem not prepared, right? And that for those situations, like, or there's just no confidence that we, we have the ability to do it in some of those instances. So whether it's the timeout call or whether it's just lack of confidence in us being able to do it, any way you cut it, it's a problem. I would say go read French's article on the game. He he did a good job breaking down the plays. He definitely hated on the play calling like us. And he, he summed it up with the idea that we're we're seeing the sun set on Justin Fuente's era in Blacksburg. It's just a question of the revenue and the, the you know, whether we can afford to do it, whether, you know, the program's ready to take the next step. I, no one knows, but I think we can all feel it and about Half of us are ready to move on, at least half. And there are still people out there that are like, well, I don't want to go through another rebuild. I don't want to do yeah. what this and that. And I get that too. Yeah. But it's it's just so hard to sit here with a coach that you know just doesn't have it to me. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what happens because typically in these instances, and you and I have talked about this on prior podcasts, the normal state of play here is typically for the coach, whether deserved or not, to fire a coordinator or a couple of coordinators to, to try save, write his the, yeah, save his job or to write the ship, but really to just save his job. And if that doesn't happen, even if it's he be, truly believes that corn is not the problem, then I think we kind of know where things are headed at this point. Yeah. And it's not just corn. It's the defense, you know, going through a new scheme. It's COVID. It's recruiting. It's, it's having to rely on transfers. It's everything. And yeah, we, we went into it in the last podcast. You, you guys kind of know where we stand. Uh, it's, and we're not going to try to convince any people that want to keep fool around because they want the consistency and they still believe in him. We're not trying to convince you otherwise. We're just trying to lay out the facts and give our opinion on the matter. And our opinion is that we're, we got a lame duck right now. And I think, I think if you asked Wade after a couple beers, he'd probably agree with you. <laughs> More than likely. All right, let's take a minute to talk about our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. Downtown Crown is located in Gaithersburg. It's a fantastic beer store. We talk about them every week. Best selection in the DMV other than their sister store, Dominion, which is located in Falls Church. They both get a little bit of different things. You get more Maryland in the Gaithersburg store, obviously, and a little bit more Virginia products in the Dominion store. At least that's been my experience. But they get stuff from all over the country. And they'll never let you down in terms of the selection. They also have a fantastic selection of wine, which just ask their employees. No, Robbie talked about last week. Their employees know wine. They know beer. If you're looking for something that 
you're not sure what you want or you're not sure what your wife might want, give them their likes, their dislikes, and the people there will point you in the right direction. They also have COVID options in terms of curbside pickup and online order. So make sure to take advantage of that and make sure you follow them on Instagram because they always put out what they got in the store on their social media pages. And it it makes it a lot easier to know like, oh man, that looks so good. I want to run there and get that. Robbie, right now I want to know what you're drinking. So I am drinking an interesting one that I got here. It's from Blaineville, Quebec, Canada. So this oh. one is uh, from Canada. It's from Boreal. It's a brewery. I'm looking it up right now. Uh, it's called the Double Descent or Descente, depending on how you want to look at it. The Or just... Uh, pronounce it properly or not properly. It's an 8% beer. It's an IPA. It's very interesting. It's actually a really good IPA. And given that it's getting shipped in from out of country, it's always a little bit dangerous just to see whether it's sitting on the shelf too long. It's actually a very good IPA from a brewery that we'll probably not have on here uh, very often. My wife found this beer I don't know how readily available it is, but I'll keep my eye out. And if I spot it anywhere for people to go pick it up, I'll, I'll certainly let people know. But it's it's got really high ratings on uh, any beer advocate or whatever you use on Tapped is what we use. Um, it's good. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Untapped. One of our followers said, "Oh, you guys are on Untapped. I didn't know that." Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we are on a on Untapped, and Robbie has been putting our beers on there since basically day one. Yeah. So. Make sure to follow us on there. What is there a hand? Is it just too deep or something like that? Yeah, it's too deep. VT is uh, the handle on there. Okay. You can find us pretty easy. I think we have coming up on. I think we're over four hundred beers that we've rated on Untapped at this point, and we don't do like re-reviews of beers. So we only we only review once on Untapped. Yeah. So because we have had repeats. Oh on yeah, the we've had we've had plenty of repeats, and we've. We've both drank well more than just 400 beers, but we only rate everything one time. Uh, so. It's kind of crazy when you say it like that. Like, <laughs> we've, both, we've both had a lot, yeah. a, a lot of beers. Um, I'm drinking the Saranac Legacy IPA. Saranac is a upstate New York beer. I was just in upstate New York in the Finger Lakes with my wife. We kind of took a, a mini vacation, our first getaway Um during the pandemic, and of course, we picked the time when cases are spiking <laughs> to go, but but uh, but we were careful, and in fact, I think New York was doing a little bit better than a lot of the Midwestern states, but no issues, and every place we went had outdoor options and all that kind of stuff, but if you're ever in the Finger Lakes, there are so many wineries and so many breweries. It is, it's a fantastic trip if you like to drink and you like to hike, because that's kind of what we did the whole time. Mm-hmm. But I picked the Saranac up in one of the stores up there. Uh, I like their beers. They definitely have some good beers. This Legacy IPA is a 6.5% 60 IBU IPA, and you know that's that's right in my wheelhouse. And my one complaint is that, you know how you'll say a beer is kind of has a full body to it. Mm-hmm. It kind of has a nice mouth feel. This has like a skinny body to it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there's, it just kind of is, I don't know. It leaves me wanting a little bit more in terms of uh, just the overall flavor profile. Like it's just missing just a little something. It needs, but I fresh, do it like needs the, the freshman 15 is what you're saying. It needs, it <laughs> That's needs. what it needs. Absolutely. <laughs> um, 
But anyway, yeah, Saranac in general, I do like their beers a lot, and the can looks fantastic. But this beer could be could be just a little bit better. But if you're looking for one of those like kind of lighter feeling IPAs, this might be perfect for you. Yeah. So I think we gave pretty much all of our thoughts on the Miami game. Did you have any closing thoughts before we moved to Pitt, or are you ready to move on? I think I think I'm ready to move on. I think we kind of said our piece. It was a, it was definitely a tough loss and a winnable game and. We just we just didn't close it out. Yeah, we're four and four now, heading into this pretty difficult three game stretch. And and Miami was already difficult, but going to Pitt and then playing Clemson obviously speaks for itself. And UVA all of a sudden, <clears throat> it's starting to look like it could be a tough matchup. Yeah, that's that's not good for us. So um, and especially not in this year because that that most people that are posting now to anything that I see are like, all right, well, we're not going to have a great record this year. So just beat UVA. And if that's in question, then uh, we, we could be in some big trouble coming out of the season. Yeah. And the thing about these three teams coming up is they all have good defenses right? and, and pretty solid defenses. And this pit one is ferocious. Pitt is four and four. Their best win is probably Louisville. And Louisville's not that good of a team. Their only other wins are Syracuse, FSU, and Austin P. So you could debate, is Louisville or FSU a better win? I don't know. But neither of them are as good as the NC State or BC wins that we have. Uh, they also lost to NC State and BC themselves while also losing to Miami and Notre Dame. We shut them out last year in Bud's final home game. And they're coming in about the 60 mark in across the board of the rankings that I've that I've pulled. So they're very mediocre. But it's that defense that's kind of carried them. Yeah, the defense has been it's had a, a few challenges here and there. It started great. I mean, they obviously that might have been some of the opponents, but they 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 really their run defense was absolutely stellar. I think that's held a lot of things together for that team. And uh, we know that they, you know, just from the legacy of our favorite coach, um, Mr. Narduzzi, he's, he is a defense force first coach and it showed up again this year. The problem has been there. They went on the skids a little bit and I think they've lost a, a good amount of momentum and some games that were actually relatively close that they ended up losing. So can't imagine what that feels like. Yeah, the BC and the NC State games were both by one point that they lost those games. So that's that's tough. The other loss that they have is Paris Ford. Yeah. He's he was a very good player for them in the back. He opted out recently, and they're battling COVID like everyone else. So they've had guys in and out. They had to cancel the game last week. We're hoping that the game gets played this week, and we're still waiting to, for the confirmation of that, but I'm hoping that with the Paris Fort opt-out and them losing a little bit of that momentum that the defense has softened up a bit. But looking at this offense that they're putting on the field, I think if we bring the same energy we just brought on the Tech defense, we'll be able to hold them down to a very low amount of points with with, with the way Kenny Pickett and those guys are playing. Yeah, I think that's that's right under the assumption that we bring the same amount of energy, <laughs> which is it's tough. I think the guys got up for that Miami game and people were energized. And after a tough loss like that, after playing a really good 
defensive performance can be tough to come back and try and do it again than next week. So I could see a little bit of regression in the defense, but if they play to the same measure they did last week, this past weekend, I think that you're, you're exactly right. If you look at just the stats that Pitt's putting up on offense, it's so much worse than Miami. They're 106th in yards per play. They do try to go fast, but it doesn't really work that well for them. They're 115th in yards per rush, which that one was the real one. It's like when BC, we're looking at their stats and they're not running the ball well. When you see Pitt not running the ball well, it's surprising because they're They've always been kind of that bruising team with the big backs, and and they're not doing it again this year. Pickett has been slightly better, yes, just just slightly better in terms of his efficiency marks. He's got eight touchdowns, only the three interceptions, six rush TDs, and the ratings are up a bit, but they're still just right in the middle of the pack of NCAA. Um, he did have an 80 QBR against Florida State. That was the most recent game. A 77% completion, just one rush TD. He even passed for any TDs in that game, but he still had a nice QBR. I'm not sure what to make of Pickett. I, I still doubt how good he is. And I, people have been high on him. I, I don't think so. Yeah, I would say he's he's improved up to probably what his potential is as a quarterback, <laughs> Is if that makes sense. He's improved a little bit to where he, he is. 62% completion percentage. Like you, you went through the stats. He has 132 yards on the ground on 48 carries. Not great. He does have six rushing touchdowns, which also speaks a little bit to what I'm about to get to is, and you already said, the running backs. Vincent Davis, 104 carries for 313 yards, an average of three. Not good. He has four rushing touchdowns. A.J. Davis is getting four yards a carry, 140 yards on 35 carries. Not good. So the reason that Pickett's picked up some numbers is because they don't have a lot of options at at running back that have been all that efficient thus far. Um, And then really for me to finish off the offense, I don't have that much more, is the wide receiver Addison has 611 yards on 52 receptions, um, which is really good, and three TDs. But beyond that, that, like you said, it's a relatively mediocre offense. They are pretty good on fourth down. I will say they're seven for 14 this year on fourth down 50% um, on fourth down conversions, which is not a good sign for our Virginia tech Hokies uh, given, given some of the issues we've had with stopping people on fourth down, but that's kind of where for me, it really ends on this, on this offense. But if you're going for it on a fourth down, like a lot of those are probably short. Shouldn't you get 50%? I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm, we're not, I'm at, not sure how to look at that. We're not, to... we're not at 50%. So <laughs> we're, <laughs> there you we're go. at, I think we're at like 25%. So yeah, I would say that they do have a handful of wide receiving options, Turner, Addison, and Mac, even Shockey Jack Lewis, uh, or Shockey Jack Louis. I'm mm-hmm. not sure, <laughs> but that's one of the best names I've seen this year. Uh, but yeah, the rest of the offense, it's it's mediocre at best. And the offensive line is 111th in tackles for loss allowed. They, they are not a good unit. <clears throat> so I would say this offense is limited. <laughs> and it, we shut them out last year. Hopefully Jay Ham remembers what Bud did <laughs> in that game <laughs> because we should be able to keep them. I don't know. It, they should not score seven. Teen points like that would be the absolute upper limit, I think, of what they should score. 
Yeah, I, I would put it at, if you can just keep it, well, this this turns around on what the offense should be able to do. If you can keep it 21 or under, then you're putting the offense in a position that I think they should be able to win this game. Like, that should be the goalpost is, obviously you want it to be lower, but 21 or under, I think, would be a reasonable okay. performance in this game that then you can turn around and look at the offense and ask what what did you guys do right yeah and that's that's where it gets tough because yeah. we have a good d-line we we're second in sacks in the country in terms of the total number but Pitt is first yep. <laughs> and so they are a very good defensive line and even though our offensive line has played very well they just struggled in the last game against you know a stiff test and so this is going to be just as stiff if not worse and so i'm i'm nervous about us putting up a good amount of points in this game because you know how much we like to rely on the running game and and if they can slow that down what's it going to look like and i'll just for example they're first in the acc allowing just 296 yards a game the rush d is giving up less than 90 yards per game in acc play just 2.4 yards per carry first nationally in yards per carry allowed on the year. I yeah. mean, this, this is not a good matchup for us. No, it's it's going to be really tough on that side of the ball. It's it, We're going to have to have a good game plan. I think this is really going to, even more so than the Miami game, this is going to speak to the coaches and what they game plan and what they set the players up to do to be successful in this game. Because it is, schematically, it is a it's a tough putt because their their strength is uh is our strength so the, that is going to be really tough to to deal with and i don't know if you want to hop over to the defense and talk about some of the players for for pit but their linebacking core is excellent uh there's no doubt about it uh dennis and campbell Dennis leads the team in tackles. He has 33 solo tackles. He also has four sacks. Campbell has 28 tackles, 14 solo, and four and a half sacks. And that's before you get to Weaver. And then some of their defensive backs are really good. And Hill has an interception, two forced fumbles. Hamill and Patrick are second and third in tackles. And they have five interceptions between them. I mean, there there's a lot of production coming from this defense on all three levels. The front seven generates so much pressure. I mean, they have the 38 sacks in the eight games, but they also have 37 hurries. Yeah. And I was going through the ACC like teams in terms of how many hurries they have. That was tied for the most hurries and the most sacks. I mean, if you combine them, they're so far ahead of every other team in the country. It's It's kind of unbelievable. They also have the fourth most interceptions in the country mm-hmm. with 11 so it's not just the front seven it's the it's the dbs too and yeah they did lose ford so that is that's a win for us it's a huge win but jones and weaver up front i mean they're they're the bash brothers man i mean 11 tackles for loss for both of them uh nine hurries for weaver on top of his five and a half sacks jones has eight sacks it's it's tough, and the linebackers are always good. You mentioned them. In the back, Jason Pinnock, he may be suspended. He was suspended last game, um, and they did just miss a week, so he could be back. Uh, but DeMar Hamlin, he got an extra year of eligibility before the season. 
He's a very good player. 22 solo tackles for him, five pass breakups. He does it all. Interceptions, three and a half tackles for loss. It's uh, it's a problem. It's yeah. it's a big problem. Yeah, and I think really the and to your point about the hurries, those are also what create interceptions. So those play off each other because when you're rushing the quarterback, they make bad decisions, they make bad throws, they're maybe getting hit, there can be tip balls. So all those things definitely blend together. Uh, it's it's a dangerous defense, absolutely. It's such a challenge for this offensive line. I hope I hope they can step up after last week. It's not going to be easy to run them. I'd say like we've been averaging 260 yards on the ground for the year. If we get to 150 in this game, I'd say that's that would be a massive feat. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um... They're actually, you know, looking at their FSU game. They had 146 yards versus Pitt on the ground. FSU did. But 88 came on one play. Mm-hmm. But then flip it the other way, Pitt sacked them seven times. So if you take out the sacks and you take out the 88-yard run, FSU did gain four yards a carry on, I think, 27 carries. Yeah. So there is a little bit of of hope that with Ford out, maybe they were a little bit worse against the run and we'll be able to do something because FSU doesn't have a good offensive line. Hmm. If they can go for four yards a carry over a 27 carry stretch, we should be able to do that too. No, I would, I would definitely agree with that. I, I think the health and how, how Herbert is feeling going into this game with the hamstring is absolutely critical. And whether Holston can actually build up off of what the momentum that he had in the last game, those two things are going to, if if Pitt shuts it down, then it's just, it's shut down. But if we get some openings and some open field and they can make some production on that front, I'm hopeful that it'll open things up. But if it doesn't, we're going to have to rely on the pass. And I don't know that any of us feel confident in that happening. No, Hendon, regardless of how well they shut down the run, Hendon needs to have a good day passing the football if we're going to win. He also needs to get rid of the ball when he gets in trouble. His his pocket presence has been a little lacking. And I and I want to see Trey step up again. He is starting to really take on a reliable role. Uh we need the wide receivers to get open. And and like I said at the beginning, I want to have Mitchell back for this one because he adds that third dimension with Robinson and Turner. Yep. Uh that really, really helps us. So maybe we give Holston a few more carries. The bigger back could be advantageous in this game. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a definitely a physical, physical front. I think there's also a piece of this that um, maybe we haven't taken into account, which is that hooker is probably expecting or thinking that he has more time in the pocket, given how good the offensive line has been. But there are people getting through that offensive line and co- creating pressure. So, it, at first, in some of the teams that we played, then we were able to out physical and bu- bully people and give him more time in the pocket and give him some comfort. But that has has changed dramatically. And that there are people that are getting through and they're scheming and they're stunting and they're doing different things to get pressure in there. So he needs to change his mindset to your point, get rid of the ball, get find it, you know, do your do your reads, get rid of the ball and get it to the right place. I think this could be like a 14 to 10 or 17, 14 type of game. Like, I, I think it's going to be pretty low scoring. I don't know what the over under is. I'll, I'll look that up before we sign off here, but 
Um, I'd probably take the under because I, I think this is going to be a very low scoring game. I thought it was like, 50, I looked at it today. I think it's 55. So we're favored by two and a half or three and a half. It depends. Three the line half. keeps moving. I think the over under is 55. See, yeah, I, would de- I would definitely hammer that under, but um, I don't know. It, things have been so unpredictable this year. Y- you never know. Yeah. Uh, I want to get into these questions before we do our picks, but do you want to take a beer break first? Um, yeah, we can do that. So, Pete, what are you having over there? I'm drinking the Southern Tier eight days a week. It's a blonde ale, and it's described as infinitely drinkable. And this is another New York beer, uh, but I didn't obtain this in upstate New York, even though it is from, I think it's from somewhere up there, Lakewood. Uh, someone left this at my house, but it's great. I, I I do enjoy a Blondale. In fact, when we were up there, a lot of the, I don't know if a Blondale is becoming a more trendy thing to brew, but like every brewery had a blonde. And really? so, and they, they are easy to drink. There's a little bit of sweetness to them, just like... And it's usually on the front end. It's as soon as you sip it, you're like, ooh, that's kind of, it's almost like a, I mean, a Budweiser has a little bit of that sweetness. And I, I don't know what you'd classify as a Blondale. Like, is a Budweiser a Blondale? Like, I, I don't know where the designation comes in. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think I would, I, would, I don't know if I would characterize <laughs> that as a, as a Blondale. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is it, is it just based on color? Is it based on the way you brew? I don't know. But this one is very good. And the ones I had this past weekend were also very good. Um, and they're, they're just so easy to drink. And so I like it. It's, it's 4.8%. You're not going to get super messed up if you have a few. So the Southern tier eight days a week, I would recommend it. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I'm having, um, right now it's a, just, I'm, I was going on to untapped. Yeah. It's a lager, just American. It's what they characterize Budweiser as, uh, on there. So it, it's, um, a, a little, little, little more different, but I'm drinking the Trop the Bomb. It's a hazy IPA brewed with lactose, tangerine, and guava, the farm Ooh. brewery at Broad Run. So this is a place right near where I am. Uh, and it's where I did my ax throwing. Uh, and we did nice the, you know, our anniversary kind of day celebration when we lost to Liberty. So to try and rinse that taste out of my mouth, I, I decided to get some beers from them because this is actually a really, um, it's a really delicious, it's a little bit intense like right as you drink it the ibus are only 44 on it but it's a little punchy right at the beginning of it but once you've had it's one of those beers where after you've had like a sip or two it goes down like really smooth you start to get the flavor but the initial kind of punch of it is a a little bit in intense and i don't know if they've started distributing i bought this at the brewery uh near us it's an awesome brewery they have chickens out there animals a play park they have like trampolines all sorts of stuff nice outside area <laughs> what's the name of, of it again it's called the broad run or it's the farm brewery at broad run so gotcha i went to broad run high school so that that you know kind of leads me to that that point so broad run is known as a few different areas so it's a little bit of an extension and i don't think this is technically anywhere near where where actually broad run is which is over towards i think more of the chantilly area in any case it's a good beer. It's a great brewery, a good place to go with families, tons of outdoor seating. They got fire pits out there if you want to stay warm, all of those sorts of things. So it it was good. I thought I would pick it up. It was the best of the beers that I had out there. 
it's actually even better on tap. The can is very, very good, but on tap, it was even better out there. We got a few Twitter questions and email questions that uh, we'll try to rapid fire through. One is from a dedicated listener, Basil Safi. He said, I had a question regarding recruiting. How do you think the O-line and Herbert's performance this season helps us for future recruiting? As we haven't been able to bring in a top running back in a while, does this year help us open some new eyes to VT? Um, oh, I can start it off a little bit. I think it does open up eyes. I think, especially on the offensive line side of things, I think Vance Vice has done an excellent job with both his recruiting, his talent, his development, really putting together a real physical offensive uh, line front. It, it's hard because it's hard to go back into the minds of the running backs of like what, what somebody would actually care about. But I can't imagine it not being a really positive thing to know that you're going to a school and then you're going to be behind somebody that's giving you openings and, and, and really setting you up for success, which I think Herbert is an excellent running back, but I don't think it would be fair for any of us to say that he would not be as good if it wasn't for the offensive line this year. And seeing that I think can develop a lot of promise and, you know, I'm not going to take it to the extreme of a school like Wisconsin, but Wisconsin honestly has a lot of good running backs, and they they're loaded every year at at the offensive line. And I think that makes it easier to recruit running backs into that program, knowing that you're going to have a, a stout offensive line every single year. Yeah, I think the offensive line strength is going to be more attractive to a potential running back recruit than Herbert's success. But Herbert's success is the only reason it shows off the offensive line strength. So you need both. And I think it helps. It certainly doesn't hurt. But I I don't know the effect until it happens year after year after year. I I think it has to be something that you can rely on. Because one year of having one good running back who, as soon as he leaves, the running success drops off. That's not showing much, but if you can show that, oh yeah, this offensive line can keep doing it and this guy can develop them and I I want to run behind them, sure. I think it could definitely open some eyes. As for right now, we kind of have a stacked running back room. We just brought in like two or three freshman running backs, so I I don't really know how it's going to get affected, and now we have our coach somewhat up in the air. So recruiting... uh, it's it's a little bit of a sore subject. Let's go to Noel Yahoki. If you're wit, how do you convince donors that Justin Fuente is the guy going forward, regardless of how the year ends? And he also added, despite the offensive numbers always looking good at the end, why is it so painful to watch as it's happening? Is Corn hiding behind stats that don't tell the whole picture? And we kind of did reference that earlier. At least I did. It, I think that... He succeeds against teams with inferior athleticism and fundamentals, and so kind of beating up on the bad teams, and he's not able to adjust on the fly during games to really enforce his will and be consistent against the good teams. That's how I'd put it. Yeah, I I think I agree with everything that you you said there. It's Even when there are times that the plays come out that, whether it's the pop pass plays and things like that, it it looks a little bit more hacky than it does consistent. 
it doesn't look like we have an idea and we pull these kind of plays out of the drawer. It that looks like been, smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Yes. When, when we get inventive. So I, I can agree with, with that sentiment. I don't know necessarily that corns as much the problem as he's just not, he he's not the, he's not what's pushing it forward. He's not helpful. Mm-hmm. He may not be detrimental, but he's certainly not helping things move forward. That's the the way I would, you know, try to objectively look at this. And that's it's kind of painful to to watch. And I think that's why Yeah, and it's confounding. And I and yeah. that's why I, I sympathize with the question because it is confounding. We have put up a lot of yards, and in twenty sixteen we had a record setting offense. But you can always poke holes. Like the yards per play in twenty sixteen were not good. And this year, the passing game, it's not good. We're we're kind of, you know, we're relying on one thing. And if that one thing's not working, it, it kind of does, it kind of falls apart. And uh, maybe not everyone in every position is developing the way they should. So, but I do get it. Like some of the stats look good. I mean, we're, we're still top 20 in yards per play. We, if you look at the SP plus, we're still up there, but it, you can tell when you watch it. It's just not that good, and in key places, when you need plays, when you can finish off a team, we're not able to do it, and that is a problem well, from from Corn, the offensive play calling, everything. So, as for that donor question, I don't know. It's that's a really hard question. From how do you keep people donating? Uh, how do you keep people interested if you know that Justin Fuente is not the guy? I I don't know, and we're kind of. We're in a wait and see pattern right now because we really need to see how this season ends. Not for us, like like I hinted at earlier. Like our mind and the minds of many are made up. It's more of like, how do you spin this after the season? Do do you have to get rid of him because we're four and seven, or can you maybe float it to some people because we won a game or two? I, I don't know. We're gonna have to wait and see on that. Yeah, I would just add to that that I always make the joke. Well, not donating is certainly not going to help anything. So, <laughs> so if you think if you think you're going to you know change everything with your wallet, that's I, I just don't agree with that. I, I just don't agree with that. Premise. You're saying if you were like, I'm not donating anymore because they stink. Yeah. I, well, what? Well, so then what? So then what we're in, we have less money to try and make a move. So we have less positioning. We say we have less support. We have, we have more people that are, you know, not helping the program. I just don't, I don't ascribe to that methodology and like that, that thesis that that is the way that you are going to vote is by not donating. The fact is, is that Witt's going to do whatever he thinks is in the best interest of the program because his job relies on it. And everybody's job relies on trying to do the best thing. They may not make the right decisions, but they're going to try. Yeah. I, the donating thing, like we always encourage you to, to give when you can. And the problem is people are starting to get a little tapped out on giving without anything in return. Cause, cause in a way when you buy season tickets and you donate on top of it, or you just go to a game and, and buy tickets, you know, you're getting something in return. You're getting the enjoyment of being around the community of Virginia Tech and all that stuff. And now we we've done the cutouts, we've done the virtual sellouts, we've and now Castle's not going to have any fans because of the spike in cases. And people are probably starting to get tapped out on giving with no return. And I totally understand that. Give when you can, and 
don't stop because the coach sucks or because he think he sucks. Uh, give when you can. And that's, that's all I can say about that. Last question, Sam Jesse. Would making a change at OC and or play calling give Fuente some more leash with the fan base? Uh, short answer, no. <laughs> I don't think people care. He's running the scout team, which uh, I think Dax commended, <laughs> which is great. Uh, we kind of joked about it last week. I don't think changing the play calling is going to help uh, save him in the eyes of the fans. I think the fans' eyes are made up one way or the other. Either you want to see him fired or you're – or you're kind of like, well, I don't want to start over. It, it's not, it, nothing is really going to change your mind from those two camps at this point. Like there's already been enough writing on the wall. Could it, making the change buy him an extra year? Yeah, maybe. Okay. So we're talking about like a year. But sure. You, if you want to change people's minds right now of people that do donate a lot of money and, and pay a lot of attention to the sport and set the narrative around we always talk about the media and the podcasts and the websites and all the people that collectively cover Virginia Tech so closely and spend a lot of time doing it change the recruiting like that is that is the fundamental problem yeah. that most people have if you want to know why people are so angry right now that's the reason is because it's not just what's happening right now it's how much worse it could possibly get. Yeah, we're staring down the barrel of another very poor recruiting class, and that, you're right, it's not about even about right now. It's about now, but the finisher to the argument is the recruiting because that's the future, and it's not looking good. It's it's looking really bad, and I know the recruiting director went on Sons of Saturday, and I appreciated that. It was a, a glimpse inside the program, and... And it was great, but like you came away from that interview having learned a lot, but also not feeling good about our recruiting. And I'm putting the blame on uh, perhaps having people in positions that they're not ready for. Yeah, or just not charismatic enough to walk into a living room. And there are some people, I think, on this staff and I have I've never I've heard a lot of things about Fuente that are positive. And I will say that just to flip it. That people players love have him, his like, back, yeah, coaches no. have his back. Got it. I've never heard anybody saying that he is charismatic in booster <laughs> settings or in recruiting settings whatsoever. And this isn't one or two or three or four instances. Like it is dozens and dozens of people saying it's this certain event and this certain right he just doesn't want to do it that then you need to hire absolute ace recruiters that that right. is the only way so it, we it, were over to overcome it when chuck Cantor was still the head of our recruiting but we haven't been able to overcome it since he left yeah. and it's been it's been a big problem uh let's do our picks quickly yep. uh before we before we sign off for the night thanks for the questions guys we we really appreciate you uh contributing to the podcast with some of those syracuse at louisville louisville is 18 point favorites at home against syracuse javion hawkins just opted out is that right yeah i think he did yep. yeah what do you got i don't know you you picked syracuse at uh at home now they're on the road you got that one right so i'm gonna go 
I'm going to go Syracuse on the road here, which I, I have a wow. feeling is going to be off, opposite of you, but... I'm going to go Louisville. I don't feel awesome because they're not a good team and they just got a lot worse without Hawkins. He's a really yeah. good player. Wake at Duke. Duke, four and a half point underdogs at home against Wake, the in-state rivalry. I'll go first. I'll take my Demon Deacons. They, Man, they had Carolina on the ropes last week. They did. Couldn't close it, but I'll, I'll take them to cover this week. That I'm with you. That in-state, in-state stuff. It it matters, um, and I think that could show up again. Are you taking Duke or are you taking Wake? You took you took Duke. I took Duke. No, I'm taking Wake. Oh, you're taking Wake. Oh, no, I'm taking <laughs> I'm taking Duke. Absolutely. I yeah. got you. I got you. Clemson at FSU. FSU, thirty four point underdogs. Oh boy, this is when they get this ridiculous. It's it's always so hard. And and FSU, they kind of were turning around, and then they went out and they got crushed by Pitt two weeks ago. I'll I'll take Clemson. <laughs> Dude, that line. I don't I don't love it. These lines just get so outrageously large in games like this. It's so hard. Uh, I am taking Clemson though. I I do feel like they're gonna. Um, I mean, they're because this they, is still just, a rivalry for them. Yeah, and you know they need to they need to solidify that. I mean, they have the loss against Notre Dame, right? They need to make yeah. they have to be in very good position that if they beat Notre Dame, that both teams get in. So they they yeah. are playing for a good amount with that Notre Dame loss, which you you picked. I you know blind squirrel finds an acorn here and there. Liberty at NC State. NC State three and a half point favorites against the team that beat us. You know, it's funny, yeah. The team we beat is favored over the team we lost to. Uh, it's at NC State. This is tough, man, because you're given the hook right there. Like to take liberty and have and have them lose and not beat three ACC teams in a in a year. I I'll go first. Gosh. I'm taking NC yeah, go State. First. I think I think the luck has kind of run out I, on, on that. I think NC State pulls this one out. NC State is playing better, even though Leary's still out. Uh, I'll take NC State as well. Oklahoma State at Oklahoma. Bedlam, baby. Oklahoma, six-and-a-half-point favorites against the higher-ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys. It's a top-20 matchup. I got to go Oklahoma here. Yeah, I'm going Oklahoma. I think most people think Oklahoma's going to win this game. and State just hasn't put together like that dominant game. No. And, yeah, they've they've struggled a bit. And a lot of people had high hopes for how good they were going to be this year. But it's they've, they've done it. They've done well. They're a top 20 team. But it has not looked great. No. And the last game we're going to pick is that top 10 matchup, Indiana at Ohio State. I'm sure uh, your wife is sweating bullets over this one. <laughs> Ohio State, 20.5-point favorites against fellow top 10 Indiana. Indiana's been a nice story. Uh, I don't think there's any way they beat Ohio State. No. But I think they'll keep it close. I'm taking Indiana. Ooh, that's, that's dicey. Uh, I'm going OSU. Indiana's been good, but they've played played a lot of really bad teams well that's the thing about the big 10 is that every team's bad yes. <laughs> i mean i mean ohio state indiana northwestern they've been good but i mean 
Penn State, Michigan State, Nebraska, Michigan. Wisconsin's been good. Wisco- Wisconsin's good. They just haven't played. Uh, Minnesota's been bad. I yes. mean, it, it's Rutgers isn't good. Uh, yeah. Illinois is bad. I mean, most of the conference is bad. There's like four good teams, I guess. But I am. I will be rooting. I'm. I'm picking OSU, but I'm going to be rooting for Indiana because I love the story. I, you know, I'm happy for that fan base to you know have a good season yeah. rolling right now. Iowa, I guess, has turned it around. They're, they've been kicking butt the last couple of weeks, too. So I'll give them five good teams. All right, I guess that'll do it for the podcast. I, You know, it, it sucks coming off a loss. I'm, I'm hoping that – I think we can beat Pitt. And, in fact, I would say the Pitt game is the most winnable game left on the schedule. I Like, UVA, it scares me. Um, it's the rivalry. You don't know what's going to happen. Pitt, I think we have a very good chance of winning, even though it's on the road. Uh, so in that respect, I hope it happens. Cause I think we can win the game. Uh, if they, if they don't pull off this win, oh boy, uh, <laughs> I think yep. it could be some angry Hokies out there. I would agree. It could be, could be a tough finish to the year. Yeah. Well, let's root for the rock fight win. Uh, you can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2 VT. 2dvt at gmail.com and at 2dvt on Instagram if you want to follow us. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to, and you can stream the podcast, find all the beers, find Robbie's stats at 2dvt.com. That is our website. Uh, Hit it up. Maybe you might find something on there you like. And until next time, when we're hopefully celebrating a win over the hated Pit Panthers, go Hokies. Go Hokies.